Welcome to the GM's Corner, a Brewster Baseball Association podcast where we put general managers on the hot seat and try to learn about all of their super secrets so we can beat them more readily. My name is Ron Collins. I'm general manager of the Yellow Springs Nine. Today I've got Calgary Pioneer General Manager Kevin Dixon here in the BBA Network Studios with me. We've been promoted up to having a BBA Network Studios whether Matt believes it or not. So uh, welcome aboard, Kevin. Thanks so much for your time here this afternoon. Uh, Glad to be here. You've been with Calgary since 2004, if Stephen's super-duper history file is right. Got a couple of Landis's, six playoff appearances in the last eight years. Uh, it's been a pretty high-profile uh, franchise since you picked it up there, Kevin. So, uh, how how did you how did you come into the league? What was your experience in that whole process? Well, it t- started with the two thousand four season, which in real life is March two thousand and twelve. Doesn't seem like it's been six years, but I uh, came across the league on one of the boards, and I'd been involved in a couple of leagues had had that situation of get in a league and then it falls apart. You know, I had one league that was kind of stable, but then lucked into this league. And um, after that, I didn't need any more leagues. So obviously, as you know, this is the best league out there. No, no doubt about that. Yeah. I inherited a team where they had let a lot of the players go as free agents the year before, because I think it was an absentee owner. And so I ended up with uh, a lot of supplemental picks on the team. And Matt had done the drafting just before I took over, and I ended up with six out of the first 40 picks uh, that he chose. I think it was eight out of the first 54. So I started with um, basically a load of prospects. I would feel like I would be charmed if I had a team that the Matt Reckenwald had done the drafting for. Yeah, and um, unfortunately, he handed a team over to somebody who was rather inexperienced, so it took me a few seasons even to figure out what I was doing. (laughs) The... uh, you know, first two picks were starting pitchers, and um, the one guy, you know, looked like a stud. Uh, so that was off to a good start until he got hurt and lumped. The guy's name was Gary Harris, and he never, ever did make it to the majors. So that one didn't work out. But the other one was Steve Thomas, who ended up being a starter for many years for me and a reliever and is one of the all-time great Calgary pitchers and is now a coach for me now. And then the uh, the next group was a bunch of hitters, particularly a couple of power hitters. Alfred Brothers was an outfielder who was like a 20-homer, 80-RBI kind of guy with about a 240 average. So he had about a dozen-year career, which wasn't bad for a supplemental pick. And then there was another guy that never made it to the majors. And then the fifth guy that he picked was a guy named Terry Cochran. That is a uh, familiar name in Calgary lore. Yeah, so he... Uh, he was in about the 30-something pick in the draft, uh, so a lot of people passed him by because we DH. And so there were just a ton of first basemen out there that were rotting in people's minors. For those who are uh, new to the league and not not uh, steeped, go look to, up Terry Cochran's history. If I'm remembering right, he's actually the manager of Calgary right now. Is that correct? Correct. And uh, Steve Thomas is a pitching coach at my AAA team. And then the, the sixth guy that got picked, Pat Curry, was a longtime outfielder, leadoff hitter for me, and he's the hitting coach <laughs> in my team. So I do like to bring back some of my veterans as coaches. Yeah, I love that about this league, and I love that about the GMs in this league, and, and you're one of the guys who really does that. Uh, you mentioned that, unfortunately, uh, Matt handed over the team to an inexperienced GM, but that must have kind of gone away pretty quickly because... 
doing a quick mental math here this morning, if I run back Calgary since the time that you took over, your record with Calgary or Calgary's record with you is like 2,597 wins, 2,417 losses. So you're about 200, uh, almost 200 uh, games above 500. You've got a couple of Landis's. Um, you've had uh, just in the more recent time period, you're like I said, six times in the playoffs in the last eight years. That's not counting this year, so it's probably seven and nine. But that having been said, this is uh, you're in the chase now for your first division title since 2021, which is 13, 14 years. It feels like Calgary is, is one of those kind of teams that we had uh, forum conversations around do you want to be a, a perennial wildcard team or a rebuilding team with a super stocked farm system, right? A, a team that constantly has an open and closed window. It feels to me like looking at the history is Calgary is more of the former than the later. And the question I have for you is, is that on purpose? Is that a classic Kevin Dixon kind of feel for things? Or uh, or is it just kind of organically happened because it's happened? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, when I took over this the team, I made a couple of good deals and thought I could make the playoffs pretty quick. And so I had a couple of winning seasons. And then I realized I tried too soon. And then I had to go through several years of rebuilding. And those you know picks in the top five of the draft. Once I started winning, I... I've tried to constantly have a flow of players coming in to, to fill my needs so that I don't have to do a rebuild. And that's why I've had, out of the last 20 seasons, one losing season out of 20 years. So I'm definitely the team that always shoots to be a winning record, keep the fans in the seats, and try to make the, the playoffs, even if it says the last wild card. Clearly, we need to take a few moments and chat about the current situation, the the uh, death match that you guys are in right now with Long Beach. How are you feeling about things going into this last week of the season? You're what uh, uh, half a game up? Is that am I there, remembering there, that right? September has not gone well. Um, bat for a minute to the to trying to always make the playoffs. Sure. My first land is I was a wild card. Back then, we just had uh, we didn't have as many wild cards. So I had the worst record in the Frick, and I ended up winning the Landis. The next year, I had the best team I ever had, 105 wins, had three pitchers at 18 wins, and I didn't make the Landis. And then two years ago, I made it to the Final Four before uh, that, uh, oh, what's his name, uh, that guy who thinks he's so smart. Um, <laughs> that, that, uh, that the genius. Yeah, I think that's the guy. Um, yeah, so I was the last wild card, and I made it to the final four until he knocked me out. He has a habit of doing that, though. Yeah, so if you can, uh, I think I knocked you out on the way that year, too. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But if you can make the playoffs, you, anything can happen. But uh, right now, what we're looking at is my team has sucked in September, and I've had uh, really poor starting pitching, but we're a half game up, and the last seven are played at my place. So I think I'm still in a pretty good situation to take the division. And since it's our last year in the Pacific, and we've been in the Pacific since I've had the team, it would be nice to win the last one. Yeah, it is always nice to win a milestone uh, year for a division. It's always, a, it's always a bittersweet thing to go through an expansion like this. It's extremely exciting in one hand, and on the other hand, you, hate, you almost hate to see the, uh, the fabric of what you've been working in modified that way. Well, for me, when I look at the division I'm in, I, I think I benefit 
quite a bit from the expansion because I'm going to have an expansion team and a couple of rebuilding teams and you know, one of the previous expansion teams. So I think the team I have should be able to compete very well in that division the next couple of years. Well, let's get back to this Calgary-Long Beach thing. Long Beach was standing strong throughout most of this year. You had kind of a really long grind run to, to chase them down. You got ahead of them. And now, I mean, for all intents and purposes, you're walking into this last week of the season, essentially deadlocked, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned that that September has not been going well. What's the What's the scoop? Just... Uh... You know, teams have their good good periods and bad periods, and my team chose the wrong month to have a slump. So we're eight and eleven so far, which is our worst worst we've had. We haven't had a losing month all year. Uh, you're hosting Long Beach for seven the last seven games of the season, right? How how are you think you stack up? Are you a predicting man? I think that I'm okay for a couple of reasons. Um, one, my team plays very well at home, and my park favors right-handed batters, which should nullify a couple of his big lefty bats a little bit. I think my team's set better for my park than his is, but it's just going to depend. Um, I'm going to be without my, my ace for maybe the rest of the season until the playoffs because Hernandez got a day-to-day injury, and I don't want to take a chance on making that injury worse. Yeah, is that something you do most of the time with day-to-day injuries, set them aside, or how do you handle day-to-day injuries like that? Uh, obviously, late in the year, you're uh, looking at the playoff question, too. So, If it was in the middle of the season, I'd let him go. But uh, at this point, if I don't have him healthy in the playoffs, I don't go very far. You uh, mentioned that uh, your team is stronger in your, in your home ballpark. How is it that you think about your players in acquisition, free agencies, trades, etc., with relation to your ballpark? How much weight do you put on the ballpark versus the players? Um, I do put a considerable amount on it. That was one of the things that took me several years to learn and um, you know, realized that I was building a team for a different park than what I was in. I was in a park that actually hurt home run hitters, and I love home run hitters. So when I built the new stadium, I, I built a park that was more uh, of a hitter's park. And a couple of years ago, I shifted the fences because when uh, Kano retired and I had all my power hitters coming up with righties, I shifted the fences so it favors righties over lefties. Right, and clearly you're doing that strongly enough that your rivals, um, you know, Stephen made the deal with me to bring David Cantu over as a right-handed pitcher specifically to attempt to combat that right-handed barrage of power hitters you have. So, And then and rise as I... I don't have as much power as I'd like to have. I've got a team that actually is doing much better on batting average and speed than it is on power, but that's kind of the mix of the players. But one of the things I always have to take into account with the pitchers is I, anybody below a seven movement really can't play in my park. So um, I definitely draft and trade with that in mind. Yeah, I think the, the whole question of uh, movement is an interesting one. A lot of times, a lot of folks are talking about this movement thing. Everyone needs a seven movement to succeed. Uh, some of those bigger ballparks, I think sixes and actually even fives would succeed. But the problem with a five movement is you got to go on the road. <laughs> five, five movement works in, in Vancouver, but it doesn't work when you come and play at my place. Right. And so I, I think Vancouver moving uh, uh, moving, and we'll see what um, what Brett does with Boise in the new Frontier uh, it would. I would guess that that's still going to be pretty much a pitcher's division. And I think it depends whether the the new GM in Vancouver decides to keep the park the way it is. Right. 
Um, and if Brett decides to build his new park the way he had his old one, or if he decides to go with something different. He had a lot of success originally, but he has struggled for the last few years, so I wonder if he's going to have a more balanced park. I certainly hope so, because otherwise my team isn't going to fit the rest of the division very well. Well, we're kind of actually doing a a little bit of a a backward take. Uh, I've been excited about having a conversation with you about the league in general, because your history with the league is is among the deepest. how do you feel about the BBA? How do you uh, think about the history of the league uh, for, for I still kind of qualify as a newbie. I'm on the edge of newbiedom, maybe. What are the things that you think are most interesting about the league that we should be looking at and that maybe we're not? I don't know that people aren't because I think most of the new GMs, many of them, I think, are aware of the league before they've joined it. I think it's got a good reputation. And they start reading the boards and they realize the significance of history. That's what I like the most about the league is that it, it's a whole world unto itself. And so for me, it's not a numbers game. It's a, it's a real baseball league is how I look at it. Definitely. And maybe the best way for me to ask that question in a better fashion is if you were coming into the league, what are the first things uh, that you would want to do in order to try to get up to speed more quickly? Because it's uh, 61 years of history can be pretty daunting, too. Well, I think the, the most important lesson I learned is that you need to draft for your style of play. And then you need to, when you're an appropriate place, make sure your stadium fits your, your style of play. Otherwise, you're, you're battling against yourself. So, you know, a new owner, the first first year or two, if you haven't played a lot of OTB, you just need to figure out what kind of style of play. Are you a pitching defense guy, small ball? Do you want long ball? Uh, do you like to do a lot of platoons? Do you like to have more guys that are balanced? And that's the most important thing, I think, to figure out is how do you want to play the game and then put together a team in a stadium that all match that. How do you feel as far as the the time you've been with the league? Has the feel of the league changed? How are things different today than they were when you started over? And are those changes good, bad, or indifferent if there are changes? I don't know that the feel of the league has changed or maybe how I feel in the league has changed. In other words, it you, you do feel like the newbie for several seasons because whenever you at whatever point you join, you're joining with a lot of people that have a, a long experience. Uh, some guys have been with the same team from the beginning. Some guys have managed almost uh, half the league at one point, uh, Nigel. <laughs> so you kind of feel like the newbie. And then after you sort of figure it out, then you kind of feel like you're, you know, you got it figured out. And now when you've been in a while, you have to try to, I guess, maintain because you don't want to be the guy who's been here 20 seasons and end up with the first pick in the draft. But the change, I haven't seen any change that I would consider negative. Um, the biggest change for me was when Matt finally relented after season after season of being nagged to uh, allow us to have a vote on the DH because he was 100% against the DH. <laughs> and we're never going to have a DH in his league. Finally, he relented because we just had such a backlog of, at that time especially, catchers and first basemen that were just rotten in the minors. Sure. And so, like for Cochran, for instance, I mean, he could play first, but I always had somebody better. So, I mean, he was the prototypical DH. And if it had come in maybe two years earlier, he probably would be in the Hall of Fame because he sat at AAA a couple of years because they just didn't have a place to put him. Yep. That, that definitely changed things. And then again, over time, the uh, elimination of the EBA and the big expansion, I think that really 
energize the league. And I think this current expansion, or just seems like whenever things get a little bit stale, it either gets mixed up because of some new people coming in or Matt doing something to tweak it. A while back we had the, and that was, I think, before you were even in the big financial change where they uh, started doing the bonus funds and all yeah. that um, because we were having a lot of free agency issues. And that's the thing about the league is that whenever it starts to decline, Matt or somebody comes along and figures out how to get it back on the right track. Yeah, it seems like there's always something happening. So there's there's velocity that, that gets added. But you're, as you mentioned, I've uh, only been in the league now for um, coming up. Uh, next year, I think will be. I, I came in the middle of the year, so next year I could argue is my decade of seasons time period. I, I'm really just now beginning to feel comfortable with the full flow of everything, so I know exactly how big the history is. And for example, I did not even know there was a a, a conversation around the DH until just now. So that's that's yeah. uh, that's oh, pretty cool. There's always something to learn. Yeah, when you came in, I remember it was maybe your third or fourth season in. You pretty much. Um, we're an absentee owner because of real life and work and so that. So you kind of started learning and you had that break. Now you've had a solid stretch to get it all figured out. And I think the message there to especially new owners, uh, new GMs is, I mean, here I am. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm a, about as steeped as you can get into the deep piece of the technical <laughs> functions of, yeah. of out of the park, right? Uh, but still, it took quite a while to get I mean, I could compete, but I could not get comfortable in competing for at least a good solid three to five years worth of, of time. So it's still a lot of fun. But if you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed at times, that's pretty much normal coming into something that is as unique as this league. And if a new owner gets to that point, then they just, I think the best thing at that point is to just settle down, focus on your team and spend a little bit of time living with your minors. <laughs> um, so that if your re- if your majors aren't doing too well, uh, go down and look, take a look at your minor leagues because every once in a while you'll find a diamond in the rough down there that you weren't expecting. But while you're on the topic, oh, you mentioned about you joining the league. When I talk about reinvigorating the league, you, you would be a prime example. Oh, thank you. You really increased the writing and you know the media guide. That's become a big thing that people look forward to and uh, try to find ways to contribute and. Now we've got these podcasts that several of you are, are, are doing, and that's what I mean by constantly something new and reinvigorating. Yeah, definitely. And, it, and it's a lot of fun. And I think that's the big piece is even when things are not going well for your team, you can still have a huge amount of fun just being a part of the whole. Let me, uh, let me go ahead and uh, take a left turn and put you in the uh, traditional hot seat for a lightning round of a series of questions and Uh-oh. see if I can slip something past you. All right, we'll give it a go. All righty, so I'm, the first thing I'm going to ask about is something that's not even BBA-related. I'd like to know a little bit about what you do at home for fun and, and what, do you, uh, what do you enjoy in life. Um, besides this, what else is there? <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm to the point of life where I'm hopefully looking to someday be able to retire. You, you get to that point where you're, you're tired of work, but you're not quite there to retire. Totally get it. I've got uh, three kids who are, two of them are completely on their own, and one's a sophomore in college. And so uh, a lot of our fun is what they're doing with their lives. I've got two that live in D.C. Are, and are very politically involved, and my youngest one does uh, TV and film production. So she's the person sitting in the truck with all the buttons and boards and screens in front of her when you watch a sporting event, figuring out how to make everything work. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, she does... Um, 
uh, ESPN3 stuff right now. Oh, very cool. Well, we'll have to get her into the BBN and, uh, and, and have her start doing the This Week in, in the Brewster. The fun part is, is that and uh, the three-year-old puppy that still acts like a puppy. There you go. And I, I'm a Browns fan even more than uh, my, my condolences. And yeah, so that's that's always part of uh, life, not usually a positive. <laughs> looks like they screwed up the draft one more time. Well, you know, I think that's like just like an annual um, uh, festival in Cleveland, right, is to, is to watch the draft crash and burn. So let's go to question number two, small ball or long ball? Uh, Terry Cochran is your manager. He's kind of down the middle when you look at his ratings. Um, doing some of my super, super duper statistical ciphering, I think he's uh, called for 15 intentional walks this year, which is not much, but 30 or 40 sacrifice bunts, which is kind of on the high end of average. Um, preference? Um, I, I like the homer, but um, my team, as it's kind of evolved over the last couple of years, is a mixture. I've actually got uh, with Soriano and Leonard and the outfielder, whose name I can never pronounce, it starts with a K, Kerry Abwhite or whatever it is. I've got three leadoff guys, basically, who can run and they can bunt. So this team is more of a running, bunting team than I normally have, but that's just because of the, the dynamic of the players. Some of the younger guys coming up are a little bit more power-oriented. But um, then I've got Marin coming up, who's going to be a clone of those three, and uh, may end up having to let Leonard walk as a free agent, which I can't even imagine that I would have done. So right now it's kind of a, a balance, I would say. Do you actually fiddle around with, with the strategy settings outside of the manager? Not nearly as much as I should. I probably haven't updated them in a couple of years. You know, I guess if it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We've been doing okay, so there you go. And let's uh, leverage off of that into the next lightning round question. Which of your Landis wins is your favorite, and why? Well, the the first one has to be the, the 2018 has to be because it was completely unexpected. Like I said, I was the last wild card team. We had Vegas was in my division. Long Beach was in my division. Just to even have a sh- have a playoff shot was almost um, impossible. And then to find myself in Atlantis, I wasn't expecting it. And then I was figuring, well, it's my first time. I'll probably lose. And my favorite game was the second game in Atlantis. We went into extra innings, and my backup defensive infielder, Carl Long, who was like a 10-minute defense <laughs> But he was a rookie, and he hit 175 that year. He was my 27th guy who only made the roster as a defensive replacement and a pinch hitter. In extra innings, a guy hit a grand slam to win the game. And <laughs> I mean, the, the last guy you would expect. And that put us up 2-0, and I think that's the game that, that made the difference. So That's awesome. You have to say that. And uh, I kept him around longer than I should have on my roster. You know, he started for me a cut. The, the second land is he was my start shortstop, but I kept him in the minors as long as I could just out of loyalty. I, I somehow overlooked him to bring back as a coach. I needed to do that. He never, ever has to pay for a meal in Calgary ever. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Uh, a couple of years back, you did a rebrand, right? Uh, what was the thought pattern? You went from the Calgary Marauders, if I remember right, to the Calgary Pioneers. Uh, what yep. was the thought pattern on that, and uh, how do you think that it worked for you? Well, I was going to build a new stadium anyhow because the stadium I had didn't fit my style of play, and I was having attendance issues, and so I was going to build a, the new stadium 
for all those reasons. And I thought, well, why not change the name while we're at it? Because Marauders never made sense in Calgary. I don't know the, the connection between Marauders and Calgary, but Calgary being out on the frontier and, you know, it was originally a, a cowboy town and so forth. I thought Pioneers fit a little bit better and it just was, made sense to do it all at the same time. It worked out pretty well. We've always been toward the top in merchandise and income. Uh, so I've never had to have a, but I've never had budget issues, which has also been very nice. Last question of the lightning round, Charm City or Jacksonville? Who wins the Johnson League Atlantic? Um, that's a tough one. I think I'm going to go with Charm City. And for one reason, they got the greatest power hitter in the league right now. In fact, if he had gotten started a little younger, he would have a shot at breaking all the records. But he started a little late, but he's going to go down. I mean, you know, 40 home runs is a bad year for Winston. I used to run a... a uh, article every couple of years on the 50 home run club. I need to do one this year because the guy has just uh, gone from nothing to being number four home run hitter uh, as far as peak years that we've ever had. I got to root for that guy. <laughs> I tried to trade for him, even though being a lefty wouldn't have been as, as good in my park, but I wasn't able to pull off a deal to get him. Alrighty, you have survived the lightning round. Do you have anything that you would like to ask me? Yeah, actually, I came up with a couple of questions. Uh Uh-oh. You had written sometime earlier this year about low-control pitchers and that uh, in a league where we didn't have great eye ratings that you thought that a guy with uh, poor control could be successful. And I noticed you've got a couple of those, you know, fours and fives. What's what's the secret? Because every time I've tried to play one of those guys, it's been a disaster. Well, I mean, it's it's a, it's a little ugly, right? I mean, you have a four control guy, and he's walking five and six batters in nine. You know, you're playing with a little bit of fire, but they can be successful, especially if you can focus on the on the splits. When you're using them as a starter, that's a little bit more difficult. I have Tim Oliver is probably the the most classic example of that right now, Definitely. and um, I think Oliver's success is mostly because he's uh, been such a huge stuff guy, right? I mean, his strikeout rate has been very high. And I'm actually watching him fairly closely right now because he kind of ticked down. As long as he can keep his strikeout rate, he's still viable at a four as a starter. But if he starts to go down much further, that he probably has to go to the pen where he can take advantage of that uh, velocity bump that you classically get when you put a guy into the bullpen. But the point of the conversation to me is the idea that a player does not create statistics in a vacuum. It's not like Tim Oliver creates his walks all by himself. If I face uh, a team that's at the top end of uh, whose hitters walk a lot, then that's a real danger for me. And I need to think about juggling my rotation a little bit or seeing if I can stagger things in different ways, use an off day to get him out of there. Uh, I will occasionally skip him in the order or I'll drop in, you know, Glenn Avery will start once or twice or Ryan Rose, who I picked up in the, on a waiver list from Vancouver, who's made six or eight starts. Uh, so sometimes you have to protect one of those guys if they're going against a team with a lot of patience, right? Yeah, so you're, re- so you're really having to look at that every sim, basically. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know life gets in the way and I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I look at it every single time. But as a general rule, if I've got a guy, um, you know, two years ago with Tim Oliver, I really didn't look at it much because he was so overpowering elsewhere that there was still value in keeping things going. Right now, I admit I try to look at it quite a bit more because I have some personal concerns as to whether he's going to continue to be a viable starter or not. 
and definitely as you get into critical playoff time periods, um, um, we'll see whether Oliver actually winds up being one of the one of the three or four who goes or not. Um, him or uh, I, it, that's the big problem with uh, I lost uh, Gerardo Fajardo um, to injury, and what that means is I need to probably end up starting Ward and or Oliver in the playoffs, which will be. Uh, interesting to watch. <laughs> well, I, against a team like mine, it'd be interesting with Oliver's walks and my team loves to strike out. Um, I never thought I'd have a guy that struck out more than Terry Cochran or Brian Vogel, but Rupert Grant broke the team record last year and he's going to break it again this year. So, Yeah. And so at the end of the day, if you look at, sometimes you'll find a team that actually strikes out quite a bit and walks a pretty reasonable amount. And then you've got Oliver in a, in a bit of a quandary. Uh, but, you know, uh, California's general manager, Ted, uh, Ted Schmidt, has talked about a couple of times feeling like uh, a lot of hitters are losing eye on the talent side, right? And that's kind of what I meant by that article also, or that conversation, right? If the league's batters, as a general rule, are losing a tick in eye, then that for control is not quite so dangerous. You know, you look at, uh, who is it, Elizondo, um, you know, he's succeeding with a one control, and that's pure kerosene, yeah. right, before it's all said and done. You look at his splits right now, and they're really wonky. There's some weird random luck going on there that is miraculous, but, you know, that's part of the beauty of the game. That's part of the beauty of baseball. That's part of the beauty of, of, a, of a well-modeled sim as occasionally, occasionally you'll get a guy like that that will do something <laughs> spectacular, and yeah. you just kind of go, take a look. Yeah, I hadn't hadn't looked at him recently. Yeah, uh, I had one other question, kind of building on on some of that. Sure, uh, got two veterans who are taking over expansion teams, which I think is cool because it, it, obviously it kind of, it helps rejuvenate their interest, and also expansion teams have a history of sometimes going through owners. If you were drafting for one of these expansion teams, what would you be looking for? Because I think there's going to be some really good veterans that are left unprotected. And a lot of number four outfielders, first baseman with power, utility guys. Uh, what would you be looking for? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, what would I be looking for? I think I'm going to fall back on one of the uh, other uh, uh, questions that came in in the, in the GM's corner, and that is what kind of team is a Ron Collins team? You know, I'd be looking for value players. I'd be looking for uh, a reasonable starting pitcher at six or eight million dollars versus the ten or twelve where you usually get a fairly reasonable pitcher. Um, is somebody who I would want to to grab. You know, if I take a look at a infielder who's twenty six or twenty four and is above average and will uh, be cheap to extend. Because what I'd be trying to do, I don't like to lose. I don't, I don't mind having a losing team, but I don't like to, to lose, right? This whole concept of tanking to get draft picks or whatever is just absolutely foreign to my way of playing the game. And I believe that I can win 80 to 85 games with a set of average players everywhere and then build on top of that. And I also believe in drafting for positions. So ultimately, when it comes down to building an organization, what I would be looking for is trying to build that first layer across the whole position realm, right, with players who are at least average. 
um, and who I can start building my finances. Because to me, a build is all about finances. The whole point of a build to me is to keep your budget up toward the salary cap range so you can always use it when you get there and give yourself enough time for your drafting to identify the guys who you're going to be able to plug in at 500k at min salaries so that then you know who to go out and get on a free agent basis. You have to kind of time it so you don't have everybody coming up on arbitration at the same time. And Right, and if you've got somebody who you're going uh, to bring in as an expansion draftee, most likely those are not guys who are going to be six-year contract extensions, right? Most likely they're going to be... Uh, value-added kind of mid-grade people. So to some degree, you don't have to worry about that with them. You do have to worry about that with as you start to draft and look out three and four years out into the future. What I'm going to be interested to see is how many high-salary, high-talent guys that get left out there get picked up for the purpose of turnaround and trading prospects. Because I can see some teams, because of salary issues, leaving some guys out there that are in the 10 million range. And I could see somebody like Stu picking one of those up and turn around and trade them for two or three prospects that aren't old enough to be in the expansion draft yet. And then the other is play the uh, Rule 5 draft. They could really do well if they play their cards right in that. Because I always find at least a couple of guys that are valuable in, the, in, the, in that draft. And, uh, and they'll have the spots in their team. Um, they could really build up their depth that way. There's always interesting people in Rule 5. I mean, we've got a Rule 5-er uh, who started all year for us in left field uh, against right-handed pitching in Mark Colgan that we picked up from uh, Twin Cities. So I think that idea that you're talking about of drafting in the expansion world, a guy who you're going to flip fairly quickly is probably closer to a genius strategy than a Brett strategy. Yeah, that's, I, I, I could see Stu doing that. And so that goes into personality. For me, I don't really like to do that, so I probably wouldn't. I'd rather be building with what I can see rather than buying to flip. For example, when I'm building a team, I know a lot of people will go out and buy a free agent with the idea that they're going to trade them in the trade deadline or whatever. That's usually not a strategy that I tend to take. Uh, It's one that I will use if my original strategy doesn't pan out. Because, you know, sometimes you make these great best laid plans and then they, uh, they don't go the way that you expect them to and you have to fall back and try something else yeah the way the way i've used free agency lately is not to not to bring in a big piece but to bring in the little piece you know the number four starter the the balance guys i mean at the at the end of free agency there's always some 35 year olds that you can get really cheap that will contribute for a year or two there you go let me use that to kind of pivot to my last little point here and ask you about the future of Calgary, right? We're getting ready to roll into this to this uh, last week where you've got the death march going on with Long Beach, and then we'll have the playoffs going on. How are you feeling about Calgary looking out into the 2035 and beyond realm with the expansion? Uh, you talked a little bit about your, your uh, division is looking... Uh, like fertile ground for you right now. What does the master plan of Calgary look like in the Kevin Dixon offices? So you mean after I win the Landis this year? Yeah, yeah, after you win the Landis or after, you know, uh, we knock you off to get to the Landis. Oh, okay. Um, well, I I think I'm my Because clearly offense. it's going to be either Calgary or, or Yellow Springs will be winning the Landis. We can pretty much agree on that. Is that fair? 
Uh, yeah, except now there's probably a guy in Louisville laughing his ass off. But uh, Yeah, but he laughs his ass off anyway, so it doesn't matter. The way I see my team is I think my uh, offense now, I mean, it's pretty solid. And I've got some older guys, but they're still performing. And I've got younger guys in the pipeline. My concern is starting pitching. I've got a couple older starters who uh, I'm probably going to lose this year in free agency because one's uh, got a, a player option he's not going to take. The other guy wants like $15 million. So I'm going to go into the offseason with probably three decent starting pitching. So I've got to rebuild my uh, rebuild some young starters. I don't have much in the minors that's going to be ready to go. So that's my area that I'm concerned with. Um, so I may have a couple of rough years with pitchers unless I get lucky in free agency. But I think I've got, I think I've got the batters. This is going to be a, a pivotal year in the offseason because I'm going to have to let a couple of guys go, I think, for financial reasons that I just can't believe I'm going to let go like Leonard. But I've got a guy that can replace him at 500 k and he wants $16 million. So, so I think that's – I think we're I think we're okay, but we've got some holes. We'll be pretty good in the division we're in, but we might not do well in the playoffs the next couple of years. Sounds like the wheels are turning in Calgary. It sounds like things are in pretty good shape overall. Um, I mean, it's always it always is painful to look at your own problems, but I think there's a lot of teams that would love to be in the situation that you're in and dealing with the problem set that you're dealing with. So, right, having a I shouldn't cry about letting go a guy that's got almost 2,600 hits when I'm coming up that can probably even hit better. So, I was hoping to keep him till he got his 3,000, but we'll see. Uh, let me ask you about the league in general. It sounds like uh, that you're feeling that the league is about as strong as it's ever been. Am I am I reading that right? Yeah, I, I, th- I think um, I think we've got a really good mix of ancient veterans. We've got a few guys that have been here the entire time, and then uh, people like myself that have been in the league, you know, five or six real life years, and then newer people. And it, it seems like it's a nice balance and. You know, it all comes down to Matt, um, and and so maybe this is the best place to end on. Um, I don't know where the man finds the time for everything he does with this league. He's awesome, he isn't he? And he runs a great league. He seems to always know what the league needs. You know, like this expansion, you guys might have been talking about behind the scenes, but for for those of us that aren't in the uh, the governing board, it kind of came out of the blue. And um, there were, a, you know, a few people weren't happy about it right away. But then when you look at it, it's it, it fits. And going two instead of four, so you don't go too far too fast. He he just knows how to do it. I, you know, I can't thank him enough because for a lot of us, this this is something that is real. And we we may only have these online relationships, but you know, this is a group of friends, and we have some fun. And it gives us a diversion when sometimes life kicks you in the ass. So, <laughs> I don't think well, I I've, could possibly say it any better than that. I mean, last year, out with my daughter going through cancer treatment and surgery, you know, that really threw us for a loop at you know, 24 years old. And she's doing great. But um, I could always, you know, I wasn't very active with writing, but I could always come here and read things and, you know, mentally go to a different place. So I don't know if Matt really realizes how important this league is and it's not, you know, it, it's a pretend league, but it's, but it's a real part of our lives. There you go. And the absolute best, uh, best part of that answer is hearing that everything is okay right now. So, uh, yeah, yeah, she's doing, she's doing great. 
she, like I said, she lives down in D.C. and doctors down there are amazing. And so everything's everything. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for your time here today. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Uh, good luck as, as you move forward into this last week. And uh, fingers crossed. I hope to see you in the uh, Cartwright. The Brewster Baseball Association is an out-of-the-park baseball league commissioned by Mr. America himself, Matt Rechtenwald, and competed in by 28 outstanding GMs. You can check us out at montybrewster.net. You have been listening to the GM's Corner, a podcast where we put BBA GMs on the hot seat. Music is Cool Piano by Tigerius and is used under Creative Commons Attribution License. See you next time. Be safe. And always remember, don't trade with Louisville.